He is able to do wonderfully, spectacularly more than we can ever ask or imagine. And that is why this day we say with heart and mind and soul and in full comprehension of His love and grace, we believe in God the Father Almighty. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning, our scripture reading comes from the New Testament book of the Ephesians. Last Sunday morning, we were in Ephesians chapter 1, and today we turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and you'll find it on page 1820-1820 of the church Bible. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Most of you will be aware that over the last few weeks, we've been spending our Sunday mornings looking at the Apostles' Creed and asking in what manner are they relevant and applicable for us today. And so, we're coming to the phrase, God the Father Almighty this morning, and we're breaking into Ephesians chapter 3 at verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Over the last few weeks, as I said moments ago, we have been spending our Sunday mornings in the Apostles' Creed. And last Sunday morning, we looked at the ascension. And why was the ascension important? And what real relevance did it have for us today? And we're asking similar questions this morning about the phrase, God the Father Almighty. It's the only phrase that appears twice in the Apostles' Creed. God the Father Almighty appears in the first stanza, and then further on down at verse 6, halfway point, you find God the Father Almighty again. And so the question, of course, is, what was running through the mind of the original framers of the Apostles' Creed that they wanted to put it in twice? That's the question in our minds. 
Now, on a Sunday morning, as most of you know, we intentionally take time to spend time in God's Word because we believe that as we invest time and energy and effort in God's Word, it impacts our minds, and then, of course, it transfers to our hearts and our souls, and in so doing, we then apply biblical concepts to life each day. And as we do that, we're also attempting to do several other things when we meet on a Sunday morning. And one of the other things we're trying to do is this, that we want people who worship with us regularly or watch us on television or listen to us on the web to get a sense that this is a place where you belong, that this is a secure spiritual home. And one of the ways we do that is this. We talk about, as a congregation of the people of God, being a place that is not only a secure home, but it's a place of grace. It's a place of prayer, a place where you not only feel welcome, but first and foremost, it's a place of engagement with the living God. And that's what we're intentionally about on Sunday morning. And this morning, as we come to this phrase, God the Father Almighty, you may be here and saying, Richard, I understand what you're saying so far, and I get it, but this is what I don't need this morning. I don't need you to present to us a subtle, esoteric, somehow airy-fairy idea of a theological thesis on God. Richard, I need something from Scripture that I can apply to my life and live out the gospel tomorrow morning and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. I want to leave here this morning enthused, encouraged, fired up, but also equipped with a biblical understanding of how to live for Christ each day. Richard, that's what I need most of all. Well, if that describes you in any way this morning, come with me, please, and explore not only what is one of the great Pauline epistles, Ephesians, but one of the great sections of a great epistle. Now, let me begin this way. People will say to me regularly, Richard, how do I increase my intimacy with Christ? How do I get to know Him better? How do I go deeper in my faith? How do I get to that place where my faith is this vibrant, dynamic, living entity, and the love I have for Him increases and becomes fuller and richer? And that's an outstanding question because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is addressing right here. That if we are ever to grow in our faith and move to that deeper level we've been thinking about over the last few weeks, please understand this. It doesn't begin with us. Now, let me say that again. If we're ever to go to that deeper place in our relationship with Christ, it doesn't begin with us. It involves us. We play a very real part in it. It is, nece it is necessary that we do, but it doesn't begin with us. 
And when we live in this 21st century cultural setting, the temptation is to think that everything revolves around us. But the Scripture does the very opposite and tells us that our faith and the development and the growth of that faith is dependent upon our relationship with Him. It doesn't start with us. Growing and developing in our faith is not about doing more. It's not about working harder. It's not about being more committed. All of those things are essential and important and necessary, but it doesn't begin there but it begins in our relationship with Him. When the Apostle Paul is writing to this church at Ephesus, he doesn't begin by describing the challenges they're going through. He doesn't even hint at the circumstances that they are facing. In fact, he immediately goes much deeper because he understands this. If you deal with the deeper questions, the other questions are so much easier to deal with once you get there. And so this morning is going to take us deeper and then deeper again and deeper again. So please buckle up your seatbelt. You may need it this morning as we come to Ephesians chapter 3. And notice how he begins. He writes, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Now, of course, we are asking, what reason? Well, the first part of chapter 3 talks in great detail about the outrageous, incredible love of God for His children. It then, in fact, talks about the incomparable great riches of Christ. And it talks about what it means to have the gospel impact your life and transform you and to know intimacy with the living God. And in fact, the previous uh, section finishes with Paul focusing on how we have confidence and freedom to enter into the presence of God anytime we wish in prayer. And it's for this very reason. Can you see the connection? It's because we have open, warm access to God the Father Almighty. And that's why he says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. And Paul moves in the second part of chapter 3, he moves away from explanation and exposition to intercession, to prayer. And he's praying for the folks at Ephesus. Excuse me. But what kind of prayer is it? What is the content of his prayer? Verse 16, the following verse, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. I pray that out of his glorious riches he will strengthen you in his inner being. And the question is, what are the glorious riches? Well, we are slightly handicapped this morning because we're coming in the middle of chapter 3. And unless we know Ephesians extremely well, we will have forgotten the first three chapters. And he begins the epistle to the Ephesians by reminding his readers 
that before the very foundation of the world, before anything was made, he set his love and affection upon his children. Now, understand that, because that's what he's saying to the Ephesians. Remember what we said way back at chapter 1, is out of his glorious riches, before anything else was made, before anything was created, before matter existed, he set his love and affection upon you, and he has watched you from that very moment. The moment you were conceived, He was there. The moment you were born, He was there. The moment you went home and your parents panicked because they didn't know what to do with this wonderful, beautiful gift, and there was no manual to turn to in page four when they had to practice feeding or when to put you in bed. But they muddled along, and He was there. And the first day at school, when your mother wept or her baby was leaving her, He was there. When you went to kindergarten and fell out for the first time with a boy in the class, He was there. When you graduated from high school and college, He was there. And it's out of His glorious, abundant, outrageous love that He will strengthen you in your inner being. And once you are there, all of the other issues become secondary. That's what he's saying. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you in your inner being, because Paul knows that it's the comprehension that takes us to that deeper level, and that comprehension moves from the mind and the soul to the heart, and we get it. And when we're overwhelmed by it, when we have a sense of its immensity, that's when the strengthening takes place. That's the first step in going deeper in your relationship with Christ. It's because we focus on Him. We understand Him. We grasp the significance of His love, and I pray that He will strengthen you. Now, notice what else He says. Strengthen you in your inner being just by chance or accident. No, through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? It's right in there. I pray that out of His glorious riches, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why when we find ourselves needing to be strengthened deep inside, that we can turn to Him and say, Father, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot cope with this. I am fearful. I'm uncertain. I just don't know what to do next. That's when He says, turn it over and leave it with me. How often in the past have you heard me describe the problems and challenges and difficulties we face that they become so much a part of us that, in fact, we pick up those challenges, those disappointments, those failed hopes, those failed dreams, and we carry them around on our back like a backpack. 
And especially when we're under pressure and things are not going our way, they become part of our conversation. They become part of our phone calls and our emails and our text messages to family and friends. And rather than take off the backpack and lay it down, we'd rather live with them and go over them again and again and again. Why? Because they have become part of our identity. It's who we are. And here in this passage, we're being challenged this morning to take it off, lay it down, push it under the pew in front of you. Let the person in front of you deal with it for five minutes this morning. Leave it there. But I suspect this, that after our benediction this morning, when we close in prayer, we've had our final hymn, and you sit down and are then dismissed, you will stand up, turn to leave, and on your way out, you will just pick it up again and then leave. You can leave it with Him. You can. In fact, after the 8.30 service, a lady said to me, Richard, but how do I leave it with Him? Tell me how to do that. I said to her, answer this question. Is God the Father Almighty sufficient for what you're facing? Is God the Father Almighty sufficient for what you're facing? And if He is, you can leave it with Him. Now, folks, that is not easy because you are, of course, breaking a pattern that may have gone on for months, if not years. That is not easy because you are now profoundly dependent on Him. You are taking your hands off. You can no longer manipulate it and steer it. It is no longer part of your identity or the focus of your life. You can leave it with Him because He is able. Are you leaving it with Him? Say it with me. Are you leaving it with Him? Are you really leaving it there? Because when you do, He will strengthen you in your inner being to do exactly that and then walk away. And He does that best. That's what Paul is saying. When you get to those deeper things in Christ, when you're ready to live out the gospel day by day by day, then you're ready to do business. Then you're ready. And if you think Paul has been meddling and taking us deep, he goes deeper again. And notice what he says. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, why does he say that? I pray that you will be able to grasp how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ. Why doesn't that happen automatically in the Christian life? 
Why does it happen when you come to that point of repentance and faith and the Holy Spirit indwells your life? Why don't you simply become overwhelmed and for the rest of your days, you're walking around shaking your head saying, how is this possible that He can love me in those ways? How? I just can't get over it. It's so deep and so wide. I just can't get over it. Why does that not automatically happen? Well, Paul gives us the answer, and he says, I pray that you will be rooted and established. And of course, he's using a gardening metaphor. He's imagining, I think, a tree with its roots going deep and then wide and spreading out. Because when you discover the love of Christ, and when He touches your soul and awakens you, it's only the beginning. And as you grow in faith, and as you commit yourself to Him, and as you become passionate in your prayer, as you begin to obey Him day by day by day, then it goes deeper, and then it goes wider. And He shapes and fashions your heart and your mind and your soul, and He takes you to that deeper place. And Paul is saying, I pray that you grasp it, because it begins with comprehension that I'm loved, and I'm loved with an everlasting love that is utterly outrageous, and He will never give up on me, and He will never abandon me, and He loves me even in spite of my sin. And He who knows us best loves us the most, loves us the most. Folks, when you focus there, when you understand it and grasp it and get it, then you're able to go deeper. Then you can hand it over entirely to Him. But if you don't trust Him, you want to hold on to it, and it's mine, and it's my precious. Really? He is able. The love of Christ is wide enough to embrace all of humanity in every culture and generation since the beginning of the world. It is so vast. It is for folks in Guatemala and New Guinea, Moscow to the Mississippi, Cape Town to New Delhi, Tokyo to Toronto. That's how vast it is. That's how wide it is. But he doesn't stop there. He says not only is it wide, it is long, long enough to last throughout eternity. Millennia, millennia cannot weary it. Denial, betrayal, and apathy cannot empty it of its power. How deep the Father's love for us. Infinity cannot encompass it. Human depravity cannot exhaust it. And that is why Paul is saying, I pray that you will be able to grasp how wide and deep and high is the love of Christ. And in these closing moments, beloved, hear me please. 
because if you think he's been taking you deeper and deeper and deeper, he is not finished with us yet, because he closes chapter 3 in an extraordinary manner, in a manner that you could not anticipate, and in the middle of the book, he brings a benediction. Now, a benediction, of course, is always kept to the end, but the Apostle Paul has been so overwhelmed with the intensity of the love of God, the only thing he can do is pour out his heart in emotion and thanksgiving. And notice what he says, verse 20, and now to him who is able, to him who is able to do, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And that's why he's God the Father Almighty. That's why it appears twice in the Apostles' Creed, once at the beginning, the second halfway through, just in case we forget. And we do forget because the difficulties and problems and challenges and circumstance of this life begin to break into our lives and get our attention. So, just in case we forget, the Apostles' Creed tells us twice. And to close this unprecedented torrent of devotion and emotion, he brings the Ephesians and us back to this singular truth. It is a truth worth reflecting on, contemplating on. It is power, powerful, and it is prayerful. Now to Him, not yesterday, not in the days to come, not living back then or only living in the future, but now, today, this Sunday, this 22nd of May, He is able and he is able because he is, and he is because before the foundation of the world, he loved you. Are you here this morning, disappointed, hurt, concerned, worried, fearful, a husband? a wife, a parent, terminally ill, a child in hospital, worried about a grandchild, uncertain about their future, grieving over them, praying for them, and you just don't know what is coming. And if that is you this morning, He is able. Living in the past, He is able dealing with regrets and if-onlys and bitterness, He is able, and He is able to do. He is able to do wonderfully, spectacularly more than we can ever ask or imagine. And that is why this day we say, with heart and mind and soul and in full comprehension of His love and grace, we believe in God the Father Almighty. He doesn't deal with 
impossibility or capability. He's never thwarted by our own inability because He is able. Amen? Amen. Let us pray together. Father, thank You for this powerful reminder from the Apostle Paul that whatever we are facing today, whatever we are going through, Your love is able to equip and sustain us. Father, bless us, please, as we leave here and go into a new week, and may we walk with You, enabled by Your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.